0: Okay, so I read you all this and explained to you about becoming a Christian. What do you think?
1: I think I'm ready to accept Christ.
0: Okay, then. All you have to do is pray and ask him. Are you ready?
1: Yes. Cool. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sin and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my lord and savior amen
0: okay so now how do you feel
1: i feel amazing i gotta go call my mom
0: <laughs> did he just fall okay
2: Ow! did you
1: share the gospel with that guy
0: yeah he was so happy he almost fell down the stairs
1: <laughs> that's amazing that
2: that takes a lot of courage man like put her there oh, thanks buddy.
1: yeah can can you teach me
2: well sure what do you want to know
1: I don't know if I
0: could
2: do all that, which you just did. But.
1: So where do you even start?
0: Okay, well, sometimes it just casually comes up in conversation. Like, basically, you feel like God's leading you to plant a seed in them or to, you know, lead the person to him. Or if that's not happening, you can at least ask if there's a heaven or a hell. It's pretty basic. Okay.
2: Okay. Is, is there, like, an exit around here somewhere?
0: Hey, 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 don't go, don't go. Did
2: I say that out loud?
0: <laughs> Sorry, bud. Well, So, what's next? Well, if this has come up in conversation, I'm sure the Lord wants you or you or any of you to plant a seed in this person.
2: I don't know much about that, man. I've never liked gardening. I like keeping my hands clean, you know?
0: (laughs) That's why God made hand soap and sinks.
2: Yeah. I I forgot about that.
0: Anyways, so you can read them a couple of verses. It's best to have these picked out and memorized to like Romans 3.23, for all I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Basically, you're saying that we're sinners, and everyone sins.
1: Right, okay, so Romans, okay. sinners.
2: I mean, I don't know, Zach, like, I memorizing mean, scripture, I, I, I barely even know my own address, how can I do that?
1: <laughs> this is information that we need to know. You need to, you need to listen, honey. I mean, continue.
0: <laughs> okay, anyway, so the next verse I tell them is Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and explained how Christ died for
2: our sins. Even I know that. That's like kindergarten stuff, man. You know, Christ died and rose from the grave in three days. Like whoop-de-doo. I know that too.
0: Well, great. You're quick to evangelize. But anyway, so that is true. <laughs> That's something you know and believe because you are saved. But if you're talking to someone who is not saved, a good verse is Romans 10, 9 through 10, not Romans 5, 8 again. Anyway, so that... If you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I misquoted that a little bit, but it's fine. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is unto salvation. Okay, cool. So, so, you know, one, that they're a sinner. Two, Christ died for us to save us from our sins. And three, if we believe that Christ died for our sins, we must confess and believe and ask him into our hearts.
1: Okay, I got it.
0: Okay, so now what?
1: Now we go share the gospel.
2: You want to come? Oh, heck no. <laughs> Let's go.
1: <laughs> okay. Jacob asked me to get up here and talk briefly as well. Um, I'm Leanne. I work with the high school girls mostly in the youth drama we started a couple years ago. Um, In this skit, we wanted to show you a little bit about what we are teaching and equipping the kids with. We're teaching them to step out of their comfort zones and how to share the gospel. We're teaching them to be bold. Over the summer, we studied Acts, and that's where I got the main idea for this skit. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So with this, I will ask you, which of these two characters will you be? Will you let your fears hold you back, or will you step out in faith and be bold?
2: Morning, everybody. Hope you're all doing good. Um, I just want to share a little bit about myself. I am next-door neighbor to Pastor Jimmy. Uh, he actually referenced me in a sermon not too long ago about me getting to a debate with some atheists a while back. And I was going to recap a little, little bit about it. So basically, me and my friend Zach and my friend Chambers were playing Xbox. And the game that we're playing is called Rocket League, and our team name is Jesus is King, so everybody can see that when we're playing. And a guy sent me a message, and he said, God isn't real. I didn't take that too kindly, <laughs> um, but I didn't let it get to me. And then he invited me to an Xbox party, which is kind of like a conference call over Xbox. <laughs> So I was like, at that point, I was like, "All right, boys, it's go time. Let's get in there." So we went, and we kind of we just got into like an hour-long debate about things. One dude was cussing me out the entire time, and one dude was, respons- was really responsive, and that just made the whole thing worth it. Then I was thinking about if I would have gotten to that a year ago, I would not have been able to defend my faith, not nearly as well. Then I also started thinking, which kind of broke my heart to come to this conclusion, me a year ago, not knowing how to defend my faith, is the average Christian today. And that's not right, that for people to say they are a child of God and their Bible sitting in their house collecting dust. And the Bible referenced that as pew Christians are lukewarm Christians. There's no point for you to even like, go through the motions of coming to church if you're not even really even getting anything out of it. So I want to, and then there's another thing with people who do have stuff to say and they're not saying it, which is even worse in my opinion because you're keeping the best thing in the world to yourself or you're just too scared to go out and say it anyways. I know it's nerve wracking to go out. I was literally shaking in my pants when I got into that debate. Um, But I do want to encourage y'all to, if you do have something to say, go out and say it. (laughs) It's gonna, the reward after is so amazing. And then if you do not have anything to say at all, you need to change that immediately. All right, I'm done. <laughs> Romans, tw-
3: Romans 12 says, I therefore appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us With brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. That's what we want to convey today. I'm Jacob Wilkie, I'm one of the youth leaders here at True Life Church, and uh, I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited this morning, not just to be here and hear some goober in a beard preach at you. Uh, But I hope you are excited to be part of the gospel. I hoot and holler about youth group. um, And here's why. It's not because I want to toot my own horn or anything like that. Um, But uh, I hoot and holler because these kids at, at this church are amazing. And if I can spotlight them for just a minute and I can showcase them, I'm not only showcasing their example, I am showcasing the gospel. Because they have a ministry. They've started Bible studies. They've been part of of outreach. They have done some amazing things. So in doing that and in having a youth Sunday service, I am not just showing people off. I am uplifting Christ. That is my goal. And I hope that's your goal. I hope you guys get excited for that. Get excited to say, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Look what he's doing over here. This is amazing. Look what he's doing in this corner. This is awesome. And I hope you're excited about that. Uh, When I typically preach, um, I typically just revert back to reading scripture because it's more smart than I am. Um, But uh, today, I'm excited about the topic we're going to study. We're going to talk about boldness. And the reason we're doing this is because this is what we've done all summer with the youth. So you guys are all bona fide official youth members now. Um, in, our, in our last hurrah of the summer, um, we've been studying Acts. And we've been talking about the boldness of the early disciples and how when Jesus came down and, and rocketed into this planet, the ripple effect of that changed the world. It changed the world. And so we're going to go through Acts. And I know you guys are used to Jimmy's pace of like six or seven months, and we've gotten through three chapters of Ephesians. Um, We are going to go slightly faster, and we're going to do 28 chapters of Acts today. And I'm hoping to get you guys done by lunch. Um, It may be in a different time zone, though. Uh, (laughs) So in order to do that, I need to pray. Please pray for me so that we can get through this. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come together as a church. Thank you for the opportunity to... Uh, be excited about the gospel, and I pray that you will allow us, uh, just give us examples and give us open doors this week um, of, of ways that we can minister your gospel. Uh, I pray that you will allow me to step out of the way and uh, allow scripture to come through and uh, help us to take away something more than just empty words. In your name I pray, amen. All right, we've got 28 chapters, we've got to move. You guys ready? If you get your Bible out, I'm not, I'm not going like to read through 28 chapters. That would be insane. Um, but I would like you guys to flip through with me. Um, we're going to go through most of the major stories of, of, of Acts and how they affected the, the world around them and how we can see, as an example, people who were bold for the gospel. Bold. Uh, if you don't know, Acts was written by Luke. It's chapter 2 of a, a rather large endeavor, um, Luke wrote, Luke, and uh, he also wrote Acts as kind of the follow-up. And like I said before, this is, this is the ripple effects of what happened after Jesus exited. Uh, so v- starting out in the very first chapter, um, we have the ascension of Christ uh, kind of exiting out of, of that stage, and we see some cool things. He calls us to action. It's it's a bold command. He commands us to be bold, to go out and preach, not only in our little neck of the woods in Jerusalem, but in Samaria, which is the other neck of the woods, and then the whole world. That is our command. We are commanded to be bold for the gospel. We're commanded to go out and do wonderful, powerful, mighty things. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. So that's chapter 1. That's how the book starts Just get up and go do stuff. It's an encouraging statement, but it's also a challenging statement. Uh, Then we see in chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, right? And boldness is empowered. The Holy Spirit comes. The people are, are just empowered with this awesome, amazing God stuff, and they run out and they preach. And boldness... The after effects of that is belief. People came to know Jesus because they boldly went out and preached. Now, think of the culture at this time. Peter, who had just denied Christ not terribly long ago and watched him get murdered, went out and told his murderers, y'all wrong. That's hard to do. (laughs) They had just killed the leader of this group, and he goes out and he says, y'all messed up. And people got saved. The boldness that that requires, man, he was he was steeled for some confrontation there. That could have gone a really different way, but boldness allowed him to preach Jesus, and people responded. Keep going. Chapter three, uh, we see just ministry blowing up all over the place. Uh, churches are being planted. People are being preached to. Um, we've got all this stuff. But there's one that's really cool. This beggar, he wants money. Which, I mean, if you're poor, that's kind of normal. You want money. That's a good thing, right? You got to pay bills. He says, "I need some I need some help." And Peter goes, "I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do have right now is a platform to preach Jesus to you." And he uses that as an opportunity to preach truth and love into this person's life that was hurting. He responds in faith, and it's a miracle. And it's the same miracle we can see right now if we take advantage of those opportunities. When people come up and say, hey, I need something, say, sure, I've got the gospel. Don't be scared of that, guys. The gospel is important. And this was a a perfect example of an average mundane daily circumstance that people pass by this guy all the time, all the time, all the time. And instead of just passing by and losing that opportunity, he boldly proclaimed Christ. That is what we're called to do. That's our, that's our job. Okay, let's keep going. We've got we to move quick. I'm, I'm trying. Uh, Peter and John, here's a, here's a running theme throughout the whole book. Get arrested. They get thrown in jail, not because they didn't pay their taxes, uh, but because they were preaching Jesus. And it's a running theme. They see, we see this happen again and again and again. But here's, here's the cool part. Uh, and we've, we've heard this verse already. Um, they were arrested they, they went through all this hardship. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's a big word called introspection. We're going to use this word several times this morning. Uh, introspection is looking inward to kind of figure out what's going on um, and, and, and really evaluate yourself, okay? I want you to do this with me right now. Think about what you believe other people would say about you. Would others characterize you as boldly proclaiming the cross because you've been with Jesus? It's easy to think really highly of ourselves. Uh, you know, I've got the body of Thor, not in-game Thor, but the other, the other parts. Um, and, and we think that, you know, we don't do anything wrong. We think that we've got it all together. We think that uh, we've, you know, we've made it, right? A lot of times, you know, I didn't, I didn't make that mistake. It was somebody else's fault. But really take a look at yourself. Would other people characterize you as being bold for the cross Because you've been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Is that a daily part of your schedule? Are you with God on a a daily way? Or is this something you put on the back burner? Is it something you shove aside? Because it's going to be really hard to be bold if it's not on the front of your mind. Okay? Let's keep going. Uh, Also, in chapter 4... This is an awesome story. Um, so they, uh, the believers, you know, they're, they're meeting controversy and, and pushback, uh, and they pray. They sit down and pray. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. We're in America. We don't have threats, usually. We don't have much controversy. We wake up, we come to church, and nobody slashes our tires or or threatens to murder us we came to church they were suffering threats and they prayed to continue to speak with boldness and here's what happened while you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders performed in your name and when they had prayed the place which they were gathered together was shaken that is my prayer for you guys that we shake this county that we shake this city, that we shake this congregation, and that the power of God comes and allows us to be bold for the gospel. Not pew sitters. Not just sitting there watching life pass by, but to boldly go out and preach. Chapter five. Boldness is not always fun. Ananias and Sapphira uh, bring sin into the camp. Read the story. It's really cool. Um sort of it's hard it's it's cool that there's a passion for god and a passion for truth but it's also hard to confront somebody in sin that's what we're called to do if if you are in sin i hope that you pray for somebody to confront you if i'm in sin i pray that somebody says stop it you're being an idiot that's that's what we need we need people to come alongside us and fix us through the power of God because so we can't do it on our own, okay? So let's keep moving. Um, also in chapter five, they get arrested yet again. It's a running theme. I'm telling you, this happens over and over and over again. Um, this is the cool part though. They, no matter what, kept preaching. They're told, stop it. They didn't. They kept preaching. Stop it. I'll beat you. They keep preaching. Stop it. And they keep preaching. In the midst of persecution, they kept preaching. Now, here's the thing. I was reading the other day, um, Canada, which is like America light, um, has a, that wasn't politically correct, was it? I'm sorry. Um, They have proposed a bill to, catch this, criminalize Christian speech as hate speech. That's not saying that they say, okay, you can't say that here. That's saying, if you say that, we will put you in jail. Are you ready for that? Is that where you're at in your walk with Christ? Are you able to have that legislation passed here in America and continue to preach? The apostles were. That's what happened. They got thrown in jail over and over and over again. Keep going. Chapter 6 is awesome. I love the story of Stephen because it illustrates so clearly the passion that he had. But not only that, catch it in, in uh, chapter 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. So here's Stephen doing good stuff. And people said, man, I don't like you doing good stuff. Knock it off. When that happens with you, what do you do? Do you cave? Do you fight back? Do you have anything to say? Because what it says about Stephen, it says, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Guess where that wisdom came from? Study. Are you in your Bible? Are you boldly saying, I am not going to do this task that's good because I'm going to do this task which is best? Or does it get put on the shelf? Is your Bible dusty? Stephen was well versed in how to con- convey a message, he loved people, he was passionate. And he knew how to talk to people in a way that was powerful. That takes practice. If you're not practicing, it doesn't happen, okay? I love the story of Stephen. Um, <laughs> here's another one. Uh, and this one's funny. I, lo- I, I think Philip is, and the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is one of my favorite uh, because it's weird. Um, here, Philip's just kind of hanging out. And uh, this is in chapter eight. And I think, Yep, Philip, uh, it's chapter 8. Um, Philip's hanging out, and God says, Hey, um, there's this guy driving past in a corvette. Why don't you run over there and talk to him? And he just gets up and goes. And that's all the Bible says about it. He gets up and goes. He's in a chariot driving past, and that's the corvette of the day. How does he run? <laughs> And catch up to this dude, let alone have a conversation. And the conversation, the eunuch is just sitting here reading Isaiah, being like, I don't have any idea what this is. Do you know what this means, person who's running beside my chariot? And it never tells about the story behind that. And I really want to know, like, the facial expression of these guys, just like, "Ah, this guy's running beside me. I don't know what to do right here. That's just weird, right? But the boldness that Philip had to just be like, yes, God, you, you told me I'm going even though it's impossible and I can't run like that, but I'm going to do it anyway because Jesus got this. That's cool to me. Then he gets teleported away, which is just bizarre in and of itself. Uh, But the immediacy, go do it. Yes, sir. And the immediacy of the eunuch who says, yeah, I need Jesus. Stop, there's water. Let's get baptized. Do the thing right away. The immediacy that they both had, just, it, it blows my mind, and it's an encouragement because we're called to do stuff all the time, right? And, and we don't, right? Another introspective moment. Go talk to that guy. Go speak truth to this person. Ooh, that person's hurting. Go talk to them. Ooh, this person is, is in need. Help them. And our immediacy oftentimes is our schedule. I've got I've to be here. I've got to do this thing. I don't know why I'm looking. I don't have a watch. Our immediacy is often bogged down by what we've planned out. I don't think Philip had a plan to go talk to some dude racing past in a chariot that day. That was not on his schedule. But he did have the immediate response to boldly go proclaim the gospel. That should be our reaction. To boldly and immediately get up and go do something. Boldness—it's hard. It's—it's it's tricky sometimes. It takes practice. It takes preparation. So I want to illustrate that uh, the best way I know how on Youth Sunday, and allow one of our youth to come boldly talk to you about the next portion of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Chapter Nine.
4: Good morning. So uh, I have a very long ways to go and a very short time to get there. So we're going to try to get through it as fast but as accurately as possible. But uh, I feel really official, like I've made it now, because I finally got, like, the Clippy mic. (laughs) And so I can speak and still use my hands a lot. So hopefully that will allow me to more passionately... Tell you about the gospel so before we start we're going to pray because like I said long ways to go short time to get there so bow your heads with me dear Lord thank you for this day thank you for all you've given us and thank you for giving me the opportunity to come preach to my family that is true life please allow me to speak accurately and precisely and uh, speak through me with your words Please open uh, the audience's ears and minds to your love, Lord, and let whoever needs to hear this message hear it, and let it affect them personally and deeply, Lord, and let it leave a lasting uh, influence on them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to be going over Acts 9, 1 through 33. So uh, it starts off saying, then Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So, a little public service announcement, that is not normal. Uh, If that is news to you, you should probably see a counselor. But uh, it just, right off the bat, just shows how much hatred Saul just had for the disciples of the Lord. And it just shows how wicked he is. But I think it's really awesome and powerful because it just makes the rest of the story just mean that much more. So he goes to the high priest and he asks for letters from him so that he can uh, take bound uh, anyone he meets along the way that are disciples of the Lord. So basically, he just walks up to a priest and he's like, hey, you should just give me a warrant for Any disciple I find along the way, so I can just tie them up and bring them back, and they can have their trial for, that will probably result in a death sentence. Because, like I said, Saul uh, really hated Christians. (laughs) So um, he goes, and as he's on his way to Damascus, looking out for any Christians that he can take back with him, he is... uh, he sees a bright light that shines in his face and God speaks to him through it. And so God, he just instantly, just like falls to his knees. And he says, who are you? And then he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. So instantly, as soon as Paul hears it, he doesn't argue. He doesn't think about murdering any more Christians. He isn't just like outraged at being presented with Jesus. He just instantly offers himself up wholly, just full-heartedly, what do you want me to do, God? And the Lord says that he needs to go into Damascus and wait, and he's going to send somebody to him. So without complaining, without arguing anything, he just gets up, he's blind, completely blind, so he has to have the people with him to literally lead him by hand to Damascus, which is completely demoralizing, if you're, if you're, like, a grown man, and you're having to be, like, walked into a town, you're, like, this big stud. Well, most of them probably don't think he's a stud because he's trying to kill them. But uh, you think you're this big stud, but then you're instantly blinded, and you're having to be, like, walked into town. But anyway, he just doesn't care. He just follows through with God's will for his life anyways. So he waits, and he doesn't eat or drink for three days, which is just... I don't understand how a human can do that because I'm constantly hungry. About every two hours, I have to eat or I just die. So uh, he does that, and he just waits. But in a completely different area, God is working through his masterful plan with a guy named Ananias. He comes to Ananias, and he says that, I need you to go and meet with Saul. I need you to lay your hands on him, and I'll give him a sight back. And Ananias uh, represents the normal Christian or normal human being in general with this. And he's like, wait a second. (laughs) This is the dude, you're asking me to go and lay my hands on the dude who's literally like looking for me so he can just like kill me and Christians alike. And so many times in our life as Americans or just Christians, do we just get the will of God or we're told to do something and we're like, Eh, like even just something as simple as dishes. Like I get asked to do dishes, I'm like, I will. And then I just wait to the very last second, like right before I'm about to go to bed, and then I just speed through them just so I can go to bed. We don't do it wholeheartedly, we just kind of half-butt it so we can get it over with. But Ananias, he had that moment to where he was kind of like skeptical or whatever, but then the Lord lays out his plan for Saul's life. And he tells him of all the great things that he'll do, but he also tells them of all the things that he will suffer for the Lord's sake. And if you haven't read it, that verse is awesome, and you definitely should. It's encouraging but also pretty scary because obviously we don't want to suffer things for uh, stuff, but it's a part of the job description, and we need to rejoice in that. So... He follows God's will for his life. He goes, meets with Paul, lays hands on him. And when he does that, he doesn't half-butt it. He doesn't walk in and just be like, okay, Paul, yeah, you're good. I and go, you're good. Just go on with your life. He goes in there, he lays his hands on him, and he calls him a brother. So he did God's will for his life wholeheartedly in the way he's supposed to. He didn't half-butt it. He went all in with it. And so many times we do it, but we don't do it wholeheartedly, and that just ruins the whole purpose. if you're doing the right th- you're trying to do the right thing, but you do it the wrong way, then you might as well just not do it because it just ruins it so Paul, Saul, sorry, I keep doing that. <laughs> Saul uh gets his eyesight back and immediately is baptized, which in my case that's like that's how I know that he is 100% all out. Because if I haven't eaten for three days and I get my sight back, I'm just grabbing whatever's close to me and I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to be like, okay, let's get baptized and then eat. But he went and he got baptized and then he came back and ate. So he had his priorities in order and uh, I respect him a lot for that because I don't know if I could do that. That's just too much. I can't make it three hours. So... um He spent some time there with the disciples in the area, and they really helped each other grow in their faith, and that just shows the importance of fellowship in a small group, that we need each other to grow in our faith, because when we're alone, we can't do it nearly as well as if we have others to help us grow, and vice versa. We need people that we can pour into as well as them pour into us, so that we can continually grow, because you can't know too much about the gospel or spread love too much. You just constantly need people that you can be pouring into. So, after those few days, Saul went into the church and it says that he immediately preached the gospel and he proved that Jesus is the Christ and it was it amazed people. So, when you prove something, that doesn't mean you say it and then you're like, that's true because I feel like it's true. Proving something is when you say something and you support it and back it up with facts that all go together to make a statement true. And so many, it happens all the time where we're like, you know, that the, just the Bucks. I love the Bucks NBA basketball team. And I'm like, the Bucks are the best team. And then people are like, why do you think that? And I'm like, because they're awesome. And that's not proving anything. And so if you get asked a question about your faith and you're just like, because I feel like it, that doesn't prove anything. It delegitimizes your whole argument. So we need to be able to be mature enough in our faith so that when we do get asked the hard questions, we can support it with actual facts in a way that we can prove the gospel to them. So it amazed people, which makes sense, because Saul was this guy who was literally walking around thinking about how he wants to murder these people. And then he walks into a church, and then he starts proving the exact opposite of the reason why he wanted to murder these people. He, want, he wanted to kill them because they were preaching that Jesus is the Christ. And then he shows up, and he starts preaching that Jesus is the Christ, and he proves it. So it just shows that this immense amount of humility that he has, and we need to have that same thing. We need to strive for that same thing. Because without humility, if we mess up or whatever, and then we don't go back and fix it, then that just ruins our whole testimony. So we need to have the humility that when we mess up, or if we say something completely heretical, to not only think in our minds, oh, I messed up, that wasn't right, I need to go back and fix it, but we need to actually go back and say that we messed up and we need to preach the actual truth. Because if we leave somebody with something that's just completely wrong, they may just live their life by it and it's just a lie. Just because we are too prideful to get over ourselves and tell them that we messed up. Pride just, it's a very uh, sneaky but dangerous uh, problem to have. So we need to have humility while we're speaking. So, Obviously, when uh, the Jews had this amazing success story for God of a man who was going and hating them and wanting to kill them to proving that Jesus is the Christ and amazing everyone who heard it, they're like, we should kill this guy. Because for some reason that made sense to them. And I read that and I'm like, what the heck? (laughs) It it doesn't really register with me. So... uh, Saul was confronted by the disciples in the area, and they told him about it, and he escaped safely. But when I was reading it, it like never said anything about Saul actually being scared, which really, like if somebody's trying to kill me, I'm going to be scared, right? That's natural. But it never said anything like that, and that's just really just, it's inspiring. Because Luke 9, 23, it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. And that is what Saul was doing. He was denying himself, denying his fears, denying his wants, denying everything except God's will for his life. And this verse, uh, every time I speak or uh, have a devotional, it always seems to kind of like creep its way in. And I think it's uh, very well deserved because this verse is very important. It's one we need to live our lives by because it says, if anyone desires to come after me, if anybody even wants to follow the Lord, just wants to, not if they are, if they even want to follow after him, you have to deny yourself, say no to your will, say no to what you want, no to where you want to go, but you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. And newsflash, crosses are not pretty. Crosses are not a happy thing. You literally get nails through your arms and your feet and you're hung up, suspended in the air, attached to a tree, and you're having to push your body up just so you can gasp a couple times, just to fall back down, to suffocate on your own bodily fluids. That's what we're called to with Christianity. It's not pretty, but we're supposed to rejoice in that. We're supposed to rejoice in our sufferings, not because, oh, we're getting treasures in heaven because we're suffering for the Lord but we're usually and hopefully suffering for the Lord because we're passionately and accurately living out our faith and spreading the gospel to people. The gospel isn't something that people are always going to hear and be like, oh, that makes me feel really good inside. Hopefully it will, but it's going to offend people because normal human beings usually don't live out the way that God tells us to live out because we're selfish. And no matter how good of a person you are, If you're a human being, you're going to screw up because we're prideful. Everyone's prideful. And so we're going to want to do what we want to do no matter what it does to us or other people because it makes us feel happy. And happiness doesn't keep you happy for very long. The only way you're ever going to have true joy is when you deny yourselves and pick up your cross and follow after God. When we pick up our cross, we're saying no to ourselves. And I don't know if this is news to you, no offense, actually a little bit of offense because then you'll listen, but no matter what you do or no matter how hard you try to do whatever you want, it's not going to make you nearly as happy as if you're living out God's will for your life. Because when you're in God's will for your life, usually, not always, it's going to be out of your comfort zone. But if it's out of your comfort zone, that's when God's going to be able to do his best work through you, because you have no idea what you're doing. And if you don't have any idea what you're doing, then you're forced to give God 100% of you. And when you give God 100% of you, that means there's less of you doing it, and God can do way better than you can. So it's just awesome, the stuff that God can do with you when you have no idea what you're doing. He uses us to touch other people in ways that we can't even fathom. So we have to be able to suffer but do so joyfully and do so in a way that we're giving the glory back to God. We need to be bold enough to pick up our cross and to follow God wholeheartedly. And we need to be all in or all out. We can't have this cool water Christianity because that's not what God wants. It's better to be all out or all in than to just be sitting on the fence. We need to be all out for God because if, we if we're sitting on the fence then we're not going to get anything done. We're not going to be able to spread the gospel boldly. We're not going to be able to prove the gospel boldly because we're just too focused on what we want to do and we can't make up our minds. So we need to decide right now if we're going to be all in or all out for God. Now, you're probably wondering, who is this kid yelling at me in the morning? And uh, <laughs> good news for you, I'm almost done, but I'm my Roach, and uh, thank you for letting me yell at you for a little bit. You've only got a little bit longer. So just uh, hold with me. But the reason that I am uh, passionate about this is because I really struggle with it. So I'm extremely prideful. But it's like scary to ask for God's will for our lives like, Paul, like Saul did when he was confronted with the Lord. And it always did because I would be thinking about it. And then it's like, what if he asked me to go to Uganda? I'm 18. I don't want to go to Uganda Because that's just scary. It's not in my comfort zone. That's all the way across the ocean. I just, I can't do that. But the thing is, we can do that, and we're called to do that. If we ask for God's will for our lives, we have to be able to live it out immediately. We can't ask for his will for our lives, and then he's like, go talk to the lady next door, or move to Idaho and get a job. We can't be like, Okay, I'll do that. We can't pull the I will do it eventually. We have to get up and we have to do it right then and right there because that's what we're called to do. The Bible doesn't say uh, ask for God's will for your lives and then sit around on it for like five months and then once I slap you in the face, then do it. (laughs) Too many times do we hear that people are asking for God's will for their lives. They get told his will for their lives and then they just wrestle with it for months and months and months. But that's just how we are as humans but we just have to be bold enough to go through with it. We don't need to wait for God to absolutely break us to go through with his will for our lives. We need to be bold enough to where we can actually do it when we ask, all in or all out. We need to be able to put our comfort and our wants and our will for our lives, what we want to do, when we want to do it, who we want to do it with. We need to be able to take all that and just throw it out the window. We need to be able to put God's will for our lives Way in front of all that. Because what we want, most of the time, it's just kind of dumb. Like, I wanna sit at home and I wanna play video games or I wanna take naps, but God may have this crazy other plan, like for Ananias. He didn't wanna go lay hands on Saul and stuff, but he went through with it, and then he got to be a part. <coughs> of this amazing story of Saul where he went on to do amazing things in God's name and expand the kingdom greatly to where he's still impacting us today, where we're talking about him. If Ananias was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm too scared that he's going to arrest me. Then we wouldn't be talking about him today. We need to be able to go through with God's will for our lives, not caring what we want to do. And that's not important compared to the entire kingdom of God and his will for our lives. The guy literally wrote our world into creation. He spoke it into creation. So nothing we can do will ever live up to what he wants for our lives. We need to be able to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, preach humbly and in a bold way so that we can prove the gospel and expand his kingdom. Thank you.
3: Uh, so boldness, right? Are you seeing a pattern? Are you seeing a pattern of preparation, of study in the scriptures, knowing what to say, having something to say, and actually getting out there and saying it, okay? So that was chapter 9. We have 28 to go. <laughs> uh, we can do it, though. We can, we can move quickly. i got to find my place. Ah, one. He did three pages. That's pretty awesome. Um, all right, chapter ten. No, nope. chapter. Yep, chapter ten. Chapter ten. Peter and Cornelius get put in jail. Peter sees a vision uh, to, preach the Gent- to preach to the Gentiles, which is weird. It's countercultural. It's something that that is not something they wanted to do. It's not something that they felt. Was right, but God said, preach to the Gentiles. It was countercultural. Think about our culture in in America. Is it countercultural to preach Jesus, to be excited about God? Uh, Chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas go to Antioch for a whole year. The boldness to just drop everything, go over here. For a year, how are you going to get money? How are you going to support yourself? How are you going to perform this ministry that's a great and wonderful ministry? To boldly just say, yep, let's go. Let's do this thing. This is more important than whatever agenda I had. Are you there? Are you able to drop your agenda and go? Even if it's way far away, someplace that you don't understand how it's going to work. To just go. Go. Chapter 12, we see more, more persecution. Um, James is killed. Uh, and and this, is, this is sad. It affected the body of Christ there. Um, people are arrested. Again, Peter's arrested. Did they stop? Did they cry, woe is me? No. They preached Jesus in season and out of season, no matter what was coming up against them, they preached the gospel boldly. Boldly enough to rattle people. Boldly enough to have people say, either, ooh, I want to hear him, or ooh, I want to kill him. If you're not getting that kind of response, think about how bold you're being in your life. Chapter 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas on another mission trip. And, and here at True Life, we are very mission-minded, and I'm so grateful for that. We go to Honduras. Uh, we had the Micronesian thing. That, was, that blew my mind. That was so cool. Uh, we have church plants that we're part of. Um, we're very mission-minded. But we can't just do a mission and say, we did it. Ah, I'm done. Call it a day. No, you find a new one. You find a new niche. You find a new pocket that hasn't hurt it. You find somebody else. You don't stop just because you did a mission. And neither did they. Neither did they. Chapter 14. Uh, Paul gets stoned. He made people so mad, they actually tried to kill him, threw rocks at him. And, and the, the interesting thing about this, uh, let's read. Um, they uh, stoned him. Verse 20. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, Entered the city on the next day. The next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby, and preached the gospel to that city. The next day. Dude's probably got broken bones at this point, and he's preaching the gospel. When I was in Bible school a long time ago, um, I met a guy. It was was like a mission week, and this dude shows up, and... uh, and I'm talking to him, and, and he starts telling me his story. <clears throat> he came from Africa, and uh, they had a little church. And his dad was preaching, and uh, it was you know going well. They were seeing people get saved. It was cool. And these renegades came in with machetes and guns, and they cut off his dad's head, middle of the sermon. And he's sitting there, devastated. And people, you know, and then they just leave. People surrounded him, and they're, they're trying to console him. Um, he's obviously torn up over this, and they say, "What are you going to do? you going to... What are you going to do? do? This was your dad." And he picked up his Bible, and he started preparing. And he said, "I've got to. I've got to prep my sermon, because nobody's here to preach. I guess it'll be me. We're in America." Nobody's threatening to kill me. I came to church. Y'all came to church unafraid. The boldness that that man had, that Paul had, comes from the same source, guys. And it's in you right now. It's the same source. The gospel is the source of that boldness. Chapter 16 is, is near and dear to my heart. It's when Timothy gets pulled into ministry. Timothy's a young guy, and, and he jumps in with both feet, and that's amazing. The young people of this church, it was hard to do Youth Sunday because we had so many people from youth plugged into so many other atm- or places within the church that we were having to juggle, okay, who's going to watch kids, and who's going to teach you know, Club 56, and how are we going to make this happen? Because if we have all the youth in here all at once, nobody's left to work. Timothy's an amazing example of working for God despite being young. That's a great thing to say about our youth group. But I'm asking you to think about where you could be serving too. We've had legitimate problems in childcare where we've got too many young adults and not enough regular adults. That should not be. That should not be. Uh, Paul gets imprisoned again. Chapter 16, end of the chapter 16. This is a cool story because we get a little bit more of just like Paul gets thrown in jail. They keep preaching and then they go somewhere else and keep preaching. This one pauses for a second and tells us the story of the jailer that Paul gets to talk to and gets to lead to Christ. And then his family gets led to Christ and what a cool story that is. That's controversy, right? That's, that's persecution. That's a bad moment that gets turned into this beautiful story. How many times do you have a moment at work where you're just mad? The copy machine's not doing what it's supposed to do. I teach kindergarten, so that's a running theme. The copier's always broken. Um, or, or, you know, something bad happened at work or, or your car breaks down or something negative is in your life. And you whine about it. And you get mad about it. Paul used it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he boldly preached the gospel, and people believed. There's the running theme of this boldness results in belief. Look at our county, guys. We need to be bold. We've got a lot of people that need to believe. Chapter 16 is a cool, a cool chapter because it talks about Apollos. You've probably heard him from, you know, some water, some plant. That, that passage, that talks about that. That's talking about Apollos. Um, Apollos, now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Fervent, immediacy, fired up, zealous. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So here's a dude fired up for Jesus. He doesn't know the whole story. He knows part of the story, but he's going around preaching Jesus accurately. Study. He had to have something to say to say it. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard this, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to... uh, And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. Are you in a small group? Are you plugged in to a a group of people that can take you where you are? Remember, he only knew the baptism of John, and that's what he was preaching. And he did a good job with that. But it wasn't the whole story. He had room to grow. Are you plugged into a place that is able to teach you? to take you from where you are and and give you more? Or are you an island all by yourself, doing it your way? Apollos was cool. He studied the word of God. He knew things, but he wasn't complete. He needed somebody else to teach him and disciple him. Cool story. Uh, Chapter 19. There's a riot. There's bad stuff happening. And... They continue to preach. The culture did not respond well to the gospel. Does that sound familiar? Does our culture respond well to the gospel? It is the antithesis of what Jesus wants. And what do we do? Do we do anything? Do we just come to church? How do we impact our culture? They got out in the middle of a riot because of the gospel and preached Jesus. Don't don't be weak in your ministry. Chapter 20, uh, Eutychus, I think. I don't know. That's a weird one. Eutychus uh, is raised from the dead. The, The apostles raised this person from the dead with the power of that also raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that raised Christ, that raised Eutychus, is also in you. Yet, we abandon that power. We give it up and replace it with Netflix or sports or hobbies or uh, phones or Facebook or Twitter. We replace it with this stuff that doesn't hold power. We have the power of God, and we give it up willingly for something that's worthless, that does not have eternity stamped on it. We have the power of God, this same power that raises people from the dead, and we ignore it. To what end? So that we can have a good Instagram picture? So that we can binge watch some TV program. Where's the eternity in that? Chapter 21, Paul's arrested yet again. (laughs) uh, Running theme here. Um, He preaches. He preaches to the people in the barracks that arrested him. He preaches to a council. People plot to kill him. The controversy that this causes is pretty consistent. The gospel, when presented to a culture that hates God, reacts. Reacts introspection time. Think about your life here for a second. When is the last time you made a big stink in this culture? When is the last time this culture has responded against you saying, shut your mouth, I don't want to hear that, because you were preaching Jesus? Paul and the other apostles, it was just a running theme. Oh, I'm preaching Jesus. He's arrested. Oh, I'm preaching Jesus. Arrest him. Oh. Let's just kill him this time. We didn't do a good job last time. If you're not in the midst of controversy, chances are you're not preaching the gospel. If somebody isn't coming up to you saying, you're dumb for believing that, we need to preach louder because that's what happens when you confront a culture that is against God, which is what we're living in. People react. Some people believe. Boldness is responded in belief. Some people get mad. And we need to be prepared for that as a culture, as a Christian culture. We need to prepare for people to be mad at us. Chapter 28, we did it. The whole thing. You ready? Here's, here's the cool thing. Um, so Paul gets shipwrecked, more hardship. He's under house arrest, more hardship. And, and people are like, this guy, he seems like a nice dude, but like everybody hates him. We want to hear what he's got to say. So when they had appointed a day for him, to come talk to them. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. Great numbers. That's cool. How, how would that, you know, hey, I know Jesus. And everybody just like shows up. Oh, tell me about him. That's awesome. Um, from morning till evening. Do you have that kind of spiritual stamina? Morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets, Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed. That is the only two responses, by the way. You either accept Jesus or you depart. A couple verses later, it says, Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. That's you guys, by the way. You are who this is talking about. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Boldness, guys. That's the point. The whole point of Acts is to show the boldness of the gospel and what that means. We've seen it in Paul, in Barnabas, in Apollos, in Ike, in, in the, all, all of them that are up here shaking in their boots because they're up here on stage. Boldness requires preparation, study, perseverance, dedication, boldness. If they can do it, so can you, because you have the same power of God in you if you're a believer. If they can do it, so can you. Stand up for Christ. Stand up for Jesus. Don't waste your life. I beg you, don't waste your life on good things and miss out on the best things. It doesn't matter how frustrating life is, how bad it is. Just like I said, your best and the only way you have a chance of getting joy is by following God's will. I beg you not to waste your life. Come to God. Serve God. If you open up your your bulletins on the very end of it, there are ministry opportunities uh, for you. And this is very specific to our local body. These are are 15. uh, Yours has 14. I'm going to add one. Um, This has 15 ministry opportunities just for you. Just for you personally. You want to be a teacher in Club 56 on Sundays? We need them. Can you do you like kids at all? We need workers in youth and in ministry in uh, kids rock and children's ministry. We need boots on the ground. Can you do stuff? Do you have any skills at all? Can you hammer a nail? Can you make food? There's a ministry for that. Show up. Be part. We need people working on the Facebook live stream. We've got two two guys working that. Heaven forbid one of them gets sick. Yeah. It just won't work then. We need help back there. Uh, the media team could use some help. Children's check-in desk. Can you smile and say, welcome to true life? You've got a ministry right there. Uh, the, the, the greeters. Can you smile and say, welcome to true life? You've got a ministry there. We need help, guys. Small groups. If you're not plugged into a small group, you need to be, period. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You need to be part of a small group. That's the only way you're going to get discipled. That's the only way you're going to have the body of Christ minister to you. Church plants. You want to be part of a church plant? We got them. You want to go to Honduras? We've got people for that. Go be a minister. Do something. Special events team. All these little weird things that happen that people use the church for. There's a team that helps facilitate that. The baptism team. Or how about just general outreach? You don't need to see anybody for that. You just need to do it. Boldness, guys. We have the same power of God that raised Christ from the grave. Boldness. So if you need to meet Jesus, there's youth you can come talk to who's been trained in the Go Tell Ministries that served as counselors. We've got got people here. Phillip's here. We've got people. Talk to somebody. If you need Jesus, come talk to us. If you need to get plugged in, Find some of these people that are, that are heads of these ministries and get plugged in. I beg you don't waste your life. It is too vitally important. It is too important to waste your life on just the good things and forget the best things. Let's pray. Dear Lord,